that it probably talked about more than most conferences do, and that was victory over temptation. Um, now, I'm going to be watching for some of those notes that will be passed back and forth to you. You know, the topic that we're going to talk about today is, is actually, you know, definitely not as popular as the topic of love. This is probably the most popular one we've written about so far. something that is important in our everyday lives. Um, you know, people don't talk about it a lot, it's not something they shy away from doing, in fact, maybe it's a negative thing to do. And that topic is leadership. Leadership. It's something that's really uh, significant and very important in Scripture, and it comes through in all kinds of different ways in many different contexts in many different times. Our text today definitely focuses on standard than other people. Like, do we expect more of our leaders? Should we expect more of our leaders? And we see that question swirling around at, at different times. In the last year, we've, we've seen that because of the media circus, uh, even around a, a certain mayor of a certain large city of our country. And, and so we see this topic kind of surfacing over and over again. And, and oftentimes, you know, the challenge that is there is this question, well, does character matter? Does somebody's private life matter, you know, really at the center of this question? Or is it only important that somebody, that a politician lowers taxes? Or does there, is there importance and consistency from a private life to a public life? Does that matter in any way? Can a personal life be out of control or contradictory? Can there still be effective leadership? Now, one of the sad things is that I think about even our political leaders is so often it's where there are failures or big gaps that we kind of talk about a lot and see in the media a lot. But uh, unfortunately, we have so many countless of our political leaders who are people of integrity, people of humility, people of grace, people who just serve year after year after year and just do a good job, work hard. And yet that often isn't elevated and talked about a lot because we sort of expect that from them. But when things go the other way, it gets media, it gets attention. And yet we know that so many of our leaders are quality leaders in the very place that they serve. So today we want to ask the same question when it comes to the church. And when it comes to the question of spiritual leaders, should we and do we expect more out of our spiritual leaders and those that serve in different capacities of leadership in the church? Now I also want to be clear right at the outset that as we talk about leadership today, we're talking not just those who are on pastoral staffs in the church, but for any people who are affirmed into a role of leadership in the church. And we have many, many lay leaders who are not paid leaders, but who serve for decades and, and years and years in the church in a whole variety of different ways. And it struck me again, thinking about even this year being our 50th anniversary of the church, and, and the faithful servant leaders who have served year after year after year for decades in terms of giving of themselves 
so when we talk about leadership today, we're talking about leaders of all kinds of varieties, all kinds of roles and responsibilities. But the question still remains, does the personal life of a leader matter? Does self-discipline and leadership matter? Does it matter how a person treats their spouse if they're married? If they have children, does it matter if a leader uh, raises their children in a certain way and is able to sort of have their children even respect them and walk alongside them? Does, does those kinds of things matter? And if you look at the Apostle Paul, and especially if you look at his text today, you'll see that the answer to that is a resounding yes. Yes, leadership matters. Our private lives matter. How we serve in the church in public ways and how we serve in the church in private ways behind the scenes, it, it matters. What happens in our homes matters. And so we're going to read the text, First uh, Timothy chapter 3, but I want to, before we get into the text that specifically talks about leadership, I want to actually go to the end of First Timothy chapter 3 and encourage you to turn there if you would. And I want to read the last couple of verses of this text because I think it, it frames and it gives us the context of why it matters and why this is so important to Paul to write this letter. So, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to the end. Paul says this, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the future to come. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body. He's vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. So it talks here about why leadership matters. Paul's reminding Timothy and reminding the church again about here is this gospel that you've been entrusted with. Here is why this is so important. Here is this truth that we've proclaimed. And the church has a really special role to play. He says the church is this foundation, this anchor of the truth, this proclamation of truth. that Paul had a really hard time understanding. Like he just saw the church, even with all its failings, even with all its weaknesses, even with all its blemishes, and believe me, the church throughout all of history has had this. It does so to this very day. He couldn't figure out what it was. He had this vision of the church. But, but Paul, even though the church has those kind of challenges, and we see that in all of his letters to the churches, he, he sees the church as this this vehicle that God has entrusted with the gospel to proclaim who Jesus Christ is to the world. And so Paul doesn't leave room for sort of a low view of the church. And I remember even years ago how God just convicted me many, many years ago about the, the need to kind of elevate my discussion of leadership in the church. And instead of just seeing it as something that's, yeah, it's optional and it's maybe something that maybe I'm involved with, maybe I'm not. That God had a very special place in the church. And it's something that even in today's world is very, it, it sort of seems to be going in a different direction. And, and we've talked about that in this letter before. Even people who, who consider themselves regular attenders at, at church, very local congregations. Now Evangelical Fellowship of Canada in their research it shows that less than, that a regular attender would attend less than 50% of churches. Closer to about 33% of churches are attending. And so just being together in community isn't you know, get their spiritual food on the altar and so forth. 
things like that. Another service I did was, was great. We, we all listened to different speakers and people just want to say something about gathering together and being community. People that you like and can trust that you can hardly say hi to. And there's something about looking them in the eye and trying to be putting your head on their shoulder and saying hi to them. Of, of speaking a word of encouragement and faithfulness. About being able to share someone who's hurt in your community and the, the beauty of the local church and how that so Paul has talked about in this text that we just read, there's a great responsibility for those who lead in the church. And what I look at that is because the church belongs to the living God. It's the pillar and foundation of the church. And will the church live in such a way, and will believers in the church live in such a way that, that the gospel has given traction, that the gospel has credibility, or will they live in such a way that it is I think it's important to look at those last verses, which sort of end this section here. And, and last week in this week, and maybe those go hand in hand as we go together, as Paul is talking about the church and the role of the church and those who serve and, and lead in the church. And now he comes with this sort of final statement, this summary of this declaration of who Jesus is and, and, and what role the church has and why the church is there. So let's go back to chapter, or to the beginning of chapter 3 and, and read from verse 11. Paul says this to Timothy. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his pastor. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his house. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not self-minded. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. And also, people outside the church must be qualified, but these must be respected and called to love the Lord. Lots of instruction, lots of qualifications for the church. You know, as you read through the New Testament, you, you won't find a, a real Biblical manual about how to structure the church or how to structure leadership. It's just not there. We sort of have it alluded to at different times, including in this text. It's alluded to, and some things are said, but it's it's really when, when it comes to the language of function and role of, of leadership structure, there's all kinds of flexibility. And you see that even in the different churches that Paul is writing, there's different kind of diversity that happens in those churches. The primary question is not so much roles and structure. The primary question concern is always about the leader. It's all about what is the character of the leaders that are leading in the church. You know, and I've often thought almost any structure in any organization can kind of work. Even the worst structures can work if the people trust it. If there is integrity in leadership, then then even bad structures can work. And, and so in this text, we see too that the focus that Paul has, the focus that he is passionate about is not so much the roles and the function of the leaders, but what he's passionate about is their character. He's passionate about what kind of people are they to deal with. And they can grow in that. Not just when they're up front, but in, in, in times of struggle. He's reminding people that, you know, leaders are not to be selected by their popularity. Even though he affirms it's good to aspire to leadership, that's okay and that's a good thing. But it's not about popularity, it's not about people who push their way to the top. Instead, it's, it's discerning leaders, people with a respect for the truth, 
not just what they believe and how they choose to live, but is it going to result in people living hundred times more life? You know, when you think about that, and we kind of wondered all that, but that standard just for leaders, but it's also for everybody who would consider themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think we could say that, no, this standard is there for all of us, for every one of us who would proclaim to be a follower of Christ. If we say that, no, Christ is our guide, and he, we are his servants, then, then we too would fall under these qualifications. But what strikes me is that there is a higher scrutiny on the part of leaders for a variety of reasons. They're more rigor- rigorously mindful in business practices. Because you see, when leaders fail in the workplace, there's definitely a, a ripple effect on Many of us have experienced that here at Calvary. When we're at a, whatever kind of workplace that we work in and, and somebody in leadership fails in one way and then there's like a moral failure or a financial failure or uh, an integrity failure of some kind, there are ripple effects that sort of spill out around that failure. But what strikes me is that when leaders fail in the church, there is a wake of impact that happens of all kinds of there can be irreparable damage that happens as, as this wake of, of, of impact sort of falls behind this fallout, and, and people are affected in all kinds of different ways. Because faith is different. Because people's view of God and how they understand who God is and how they understand this gospel is very different. As we become more mature, we do recognize that we have to give grace to leaders. We do recognize that leaders will be made even better. We know that in Acts 2 does. But all these leaders bring all kinds of different And we know that we will be disappointed in them. But oftentimes people will tie their view of God and their understanding of faith so closely to leaders, which uh, isn't necessarily a healthy thing to do, that, that when a leader fails, everything sort of gets compromised and sort of falls and as we mature, we realize that we need to separate our leaders from our view of God and realize that God is God and leaders is still human and human. And so for many of us, we've had different people in our lives who we've respected and we've had to separate that. We've got to work through that and go, you know what? God is still God and the things that this individual still taught and proclaimed was true, even though it didn't play out in the most as the outward responsibilities get greater, there needs to be a, a correlation to the inner life that happens inside of the leader. And so that prayer and how you can even pray for leaders, God, that you would give an adequate inner life to what's happening in terms of the responsibilities that, that happen in the place and the time that they're at. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, we see that, that Paul says that these people, they, they need to have a life that is above reproach. We need to live a life that's, that's blameless. And then he gets into some really specific things, which we'll get into in, in just a minute as we move forward. Paul's saying that, that there needs to be an inner life that is tangible and real. It's not going to be perfect. I mean, that, that name means that it isn't perfect. But there needs to be a, a very real walk with God that affects every aspect of their lives in some way that has some substance to it. How a leader lives that aligns with what they teach and what the Word of God 
There's a quote that says, you know, more is learned through living than through learning. And I've often thought, too, in my background in athletics and recreation, I remember I always liked this one quote that said, you can learn more about somebody in an hour of play than in an hour of play. Just an hour of play with somebody reveals all kinds of things about that person. So we can sort of hide behind conversations, and we can hide behind how we project ourselves to other people, but when we get into the into the competition and into the crucible of intense times of some sort or another, things get revealed. So that's so much what Paul is talking about here. Let's keep reading in verse 8. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed. They must live with a clear conscience. Before they're appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and their homes must be ready. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and household affairs. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others for having fierce confidence in their faith. drawn out in broad parameters. We know that there are churches who met in houses at this time. We also know that there are churches that were associated with the city. We don't know exactly what the relationship was between those two cities and how they were dealing. But in this section, it introduces us to a second principle. And there's sort of two terms that are used according to the translation that's used in this section. In the first section, Paul is talking about uh, elders or leaders. And, and there's a contrast to the second section. In the New Living Translation, it uses the term elders and deacons. In the NIV, it uses the term overseer and deacon. In the message, the New Peterson translator translates it simply leader and servant. But however you describe it or however these words are used, there's sort of this, there is some differentiation of roles that isn't fully and completely clear. But it, it sort of implies that this first group is, is, is giving some kind of ruling and they have some kind of authority. So they talk to Scripture, they are prepared to depart. And that in the second group that is talked about, there's more of a serving mindset. They are truly servants who just serve the body. And we could spend a lot of time differentiating these things to a whole variety of things. And there's, there's lots of ways that we could differentiate. But there's some interesting things about this. It's called the qualifications of the saints. Now, the qualifications are almost identical. They are expressed slightly differently, but if you read through those two groupings with the different terms that are there, the qualifications are just as high for both groups. So it's kind of saying if you're leaving the church, you've got everything you need. You have been affirmed by the body to serve and lead in this church in whatever capacity that these qualifications are expressed. I think a unique gift of the Spirit is, is assumed here that people would have certain gifts, that they would have certain roles, but, but this character needs to be scrutinized in one way or another. And you kind of wonder, well, what's behind Paul? Like, is there a leadership crisis that's happening here? We know that there are some things that are going on in terms of Paul's teaching, and some others that specifically in the leadership group, we're not exactly sure. Or was it something that was sort of preemptive, that Paul knows the nature of people, knows the nature of church, and he's saying, you know what, he's sort of preemptively saying, here's how you need to establish and, and look for leaders and standards, because a crisis will come. And we'll also notice in this section that the language is very male dominated in those messages. It was just assumed that men were the leaders in the church, and so it's written that way and in that context again. 
And last week we spent most of the sermon just talking about this whole idea of how do we even become women in in the church and creating clothes. I'm not going to go back and, and, and revisit all of that if you spend considerable time. I encourage you to even listen online to that message and, and we unpack this whole idea of how do we view women in the role in the church in that context. What does that look like? How do we affect that? But just understand again that in this context, again, that, that Paul is assuming that men are leading in the church, and so he's writing in that kind of way. However, in verse 11, it does refer specifically to women about their clothing. And, and you can hear some of the message. He says, no exceptions are to be made for women. Same qualification. So whether it's a, a wife of one who is serving that way or somebody who is serving, that these qualifications apply to every single member of the church. Again, this theme that you are to lead and serve in the church in a way that honors God, glorifies God, glorifies some other staff role or as a lay leader in the church, character qualifications matter. Now, the second part of that piece is the importance of what's that going to look like? If you're married and if you have kids, you know, some leaders might in the church, if they get so involved in the work of the church and so involved uh, in the things that they do in the activities of the church that they neglect their family. Here, Lisa, when we get to this section, don't laugh out loud at me. Um, it's something that we talk about a lot. It's something that has been probably our ongoing conversation about, okay, where is this balance of, of things and how you separate for the home and, and church life, right? And so it's something that we talk about because we're keenly aware that this can get out of balance very easily. I asked the question of my kids in the last year, I said, how are you so glad that that's not true? Most of the time, the answer is yes. Some seasons you go through times when, when you think, well, no, not right now. There comes times when there's imbalance and you have to sort of recalibrate things and have some different conversations and work on things. But it's not just the ladies' responsibility. Lay leaders can also throw themselves into the church in such a way that family can just about anything. The point here, again, is just that whoever's in leadership, are you paying attention to what is happening in the church? Are you paying attention in your marriage to what is happening between you and your spouse? And every Wednesday morning as a staff, we meet together staff now and once a week we gather together and worship together and pray together and check in together and, and just recently in the last couple of weeks we've been talking about this very question about how is it going with the church? How do we keep each other accountable? How do we keep each other from moral failings? How do we keep each other from having integrity in our primary relationships with our spouse and with our children? How do we have balance in those things? And, and of course encourage one another. And it's been really good that just having open conversations about that. What does that look like for us to actually not compromise the gospel message by talking about these things and being okay to challenge each other with accountability and transparency. How do we live into that? And pastor and his family, we, we talked about the family and said it this way. He says, don't play what is meant to be for something that comes natural. I might rephrase it a different way and say it this way. Don't give it to someone else that only you can bring to Christ. Who knows that you're married and have kids, but you can never hand off to somebody else what you have given yourself and to your family. I can't hand that off to anybody. Other roles I can hand off, there are virtually no other roles I feel shouldn't be handed off anyway. Those roles need to be maintained and need to be honored and need to be contributed in a very faithful way, in a way that it doesn't compromise the integrity of the family also. We hand it off in different ways, oftentimes through neglect. Many 
feel the weight of the brokenness of the earth and the hurt on the land and the distress and the bitterness of the So again, the things that you need to know this morning. Are they the right thing? What do you think I'm supposed to do? Other qualifications come out, and there are many of them, and I'll just touch on a few of them. Paul said, you know what, if somebody's going to serve in this way, they shouldn't be a new believer. Because new believers, you know, it's sort of like that, that, that sower in the seed, sort of a weed kind of thing. The seed comes down quickly, snatched away really quickly, and it doesn't really bear fruit. You need leaders who have deep roots in Christ, that have had some seasons of good roots and life experience, and he says, you know what, don't be quick to appoint those people who are new in the faith. Pride, he says, you need to be aware of. He says, shouldn't be a heavy drinker. And these people have restraint and responsibility in this area of their lives, in moderation, in this area of their lives. Should be well-spoken to by those outside the church. What is it that they're clearing about them? What is it that their boss would say or their staff or employees would say to them? What is it that their suppliers say or those people that they work with in the marketplace would say? What would people say about somebody who is not Those things need to be Paul says they should be gentle, not quarrelsome. They should not be violent. They shouldn't be lovers of money. That consumes them. The, the, the love of money consumes them and distracts them from what really matters. Are they committed to this mystery of the faith, this mystery of the gospel that we proclaim? Are they committed to that? Do they live it and do they walk it? All of these things, as Paul points out, for those who serve in different roles, he says, this is what you need to be aware of. Don't take this for granted. Aspect of leadership that came to my mind as I was thinking and praying for this text is something else that comes up. The whole role of pastor and leader. Some people have the damage to this word that needs to be demeaned and needs to be reclaimed in, in one way or another because oftentimes it's only associated with abuse. And yet, and yet that role is a very biblical role. And sometimes when we get unnerved by that word, we sort of replace it with authority or something like that. And yet when we look in Scripture, the word power is translated as power probably about three times more than the word authority. So the word power comes through over and over again in Scripture. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where this commission was given to the disciples, what they said to them is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the reality is, is that for people to show the mission of the church, there is a power that is given to them. And that's there is a power that we all have that is given by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there is also a power of influence that comes in our lives and influences our lives. There's also a power that comes in position. Okay? And so for anybody in, in leadership, anybody who serves in any kind of capacity, to understand and to feel that power that is given to them. To be, to be honest with it and say, okay, God, how are we walking humbly with this influence and power that's been entrusted to us? Part of being entrusted is leadership. There's nobody who models that better than Jesus himself. What does the person do when they're under stress and difficulty? John chapter 13, the first verse says, and Jesus takes a towel and lays it on the water and he says, You serve. And he says, This is what power looks like. It's to become the servant of all. And it's this model of servant leadership, willing to go to the cross, willing to die for these people. And 
so servant leadership is this this truth of how we handle power. Anybody who is a servant has a very great willingness and willingness and whatever it takes to serve and whatever it takes to serve. It's been interesting to read in, in recent years in the corporate world and in the leadership writings in, in the secular corporate world, this idea of servant leadership is, is one that's being proclaimed and written about and, and sort of put out there as this new idea, this new idea of how to serve in the marketplace. And it's this old, old principle that is so biblical that Jesus is writing in this incredible way of true servant leadership and stewardship. How you steward the power that you have to do this. Just incredible Discern and, and call people to leadership. It, it would be really easy to just take a corporate view and just sort of have a corporate view of like, who are good decision makers, who are people who really make decisions well and so on, and not be concerned with the primary concern of the But I'm thankful that our process is more than that. Even as those of us who have been called into control ministry have gone through a rigorous process of, of interviews, of, of actually having to candidate, be able to speak a number of times and be pushed in at all kinds of levels, and to have the Board of Faith Delight kind of test and see what do you think about these things, how do you think theologically, all of those things. I appreciate how our council, who gives leadership to this church, as lay leaders have served in all kinds of different places, including when they, they have this desire and this passion for serving and stewardship and leadership in this church. And over the last years, our council has taken that so seriously, wanting to know what does it mean to be a spiritual leader. Having read books about it, we've had council retreats about it, of having times of actually watching each other speak and saying, how do we serve and what, what does that look like in leadership? Our council now has just initiated something that by their own uh, doing of just coming together on Sunday for praise and having a regular prayer process after that, wanting to be spiritual leaders. As people are invited and discerned into leadership, there's a two-way discernment. You start with a group of people that starts to call out and gather and initiate the process. You say, hey, would you enter into some discernment? Would you form this in leadership? Would you talk about this? And there's questionnaires that are filled out. People are asked to share their testimonies, pointed questions to ask that will help them uh, getting at some of these things in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want you to know this because it's part of the process that people are called and proclaimed into leadership, even through this process. And even people who have served on council before, if they are revisiting or coming back again, they're asked to go through that again and tell their testimony again. What, what is God doing in your life? What, where are you at in your life? What's going on in your life? Questions are asked around family and around relationships. Questions are asked around all kinds of things. Maybe I scared you all away from that. Maybe not. But that's part of coming into council and saying, do you, is that important to you? Do you, do you give of your gifts and your time and your service? How is it that you live in the church already? Do you? We go back to verse 14, 15, and 16, and Paul, again, I want to just read these words because he says, this is the church of the living God. His pillar and foundation is God. Without question, this is the great mystery of life. Christ was revealed in the human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by the angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. Paul's saying, this is why I'm up here. This is why I'm here. Here for more. I'm not here for people. I'm here for people. People who are willing to live that way. People who are willing to open themselves up and talk about these things and be honest about them. 
pleasing state to them, to live as you intend, and to lead in such a way that it affects every part of their lives, that this gospel of who Jesus is and the implications of that seep into every pore and decision of their lives one way or another. That's the call for me this morning. That's the call of you. It's the mission of Jesus. It applies in that setting to any wedding that you might be at. But I also want to talk to you about church today. So as we close today, I invite the worship team to come up and lead us in the closing song. But as we close today, I want to encourage you in your prayer for your spiritual leaders. Pray for those who are in charge of the leadership in that, uh, in that role and also serving on church committees and other places. For those who give leadership to our youth and children's ministry, serving so faithfully and, and teaching and instructing and discipling and walking alongside our children and our youth. Those who disciple and encourage our seniors. Those who are, are discipling our small groups and giving leadership in those kinds of vulnerable settings. For the ministry of the gospel to continue in live, that we would pray for our leaders. And that we would affirm those who we see have these qualifications and call them out and encourage them. And that we would ask other questions about that. Even as we discern leaders that we would think maybe different of about them in our worship service. Say, who would I be praying for today if I had a chance to speak to those people? Who are some of those leaders that I would be willing to encourage and encourage? Who do I respect in that way? Who have I learned the most about them of the person I'm praying for? Who is it that I would go to and I would say, Jesus, I would want to invite you to share with me today? These are the kind of questions that we need to ask. In other words, serving this place, that we need to just affirm and to encourage to step into a more formal role in, in leading this place, to tap them on the shoulder, to encourage them to come out of the bus and, and that way, that we would serve and respect the place that we are in. So God, give us the right leaders, and may God help us to be those leaders that you believe us to be. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this church and these people and the existence that it gives me as a pastor. And I thank you for the generations of leaders that have gone before us. Those people who have served in formal capacities and those who have just served in some degree and given of their lives and called to do something for you. And Lord, I just thank you for the many, many times that they have served and the leadership that I have seen. Lord, I thank you for those leaders who have modeled these kinds of things for us to imitate. Would you bless them? Would you encourage them? And Lord, I pray for those places where there has been uh, uh, breakdown in spiritual leadership in our midst. Would you pray for them? Would you pray for an adequate measure of their brokenness and their failings and their reconciliation? Would you pray that we would look to you and not to our earthly leaders and that our trust and our faith would be placed firmly in who you are, Jesus Christ. And God, that you would help us to come alongside and encourage and bless our leaders in all kinds of spiritual ways, but also that, that we would look first and foremost to you. God, we need you. That we would submit our lives to you. And so, Father, we pray these things. Amen.